0: You are listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com Welcome back to private parts unknown a podcast about love and sexuality around the world I'm Courtney Kosak and today we're talking about shibari. Yes, the form of Japanese rope bondage that I got to see up close and personal during our trip to Tokyo. I could not believe that I didn't hop in and participate. I guess I was too busy thinking about my happy ending massage. (laughs) But anyway, it immediately got added to my bucket list and I cannot wait to scratch it off. And today I have an awesome guest to help us explore this topic.
1: Hi, I'm Marika Leila, aka Gorgon, and I'm here on behalf of Shibari Study.
0: So Marika's gonna tell us all about the history of Shibari, the benefits, her own personal journey, and how it's impacted her sexuality and her life as a whole, how consent works, why she started Shibari Study, and more. The whole conversation is super interesting and super sexy. And if you wanna see what this looks like, you can check out the photos on the Shibari Study Instagram. It is at shibari.study. Privates, you are going to love this episode, so let's get into it. Start with what we call shibari
1: today, and that is very simply tying each other up or ourselves up with rope. So it's a very general answer. It's very open because it's a practice that is very varied. It has as many approaches as people practicing it so anything else i would add to this would be full of assumptions and somebody out there practicing shibari would not recognize themselves so shibari is tying ourselves or tying each other with rope obviously the next point is that shibari is a japanese word right so we need to also replace the practice into uh, its cultural and historical context so a lot of the Japanese were bondage or shibari, even if now it's been practiced by lots of people in lots of different ways all over the world and it doesn't necessarily have much of its Japanese origins left in it, uh, it's important to to understand where it comes from. Uh, And so it it is a practice that comes from Japan that is now a highly mutated form of what it used to be. One important thing for me to say is that a very common myth or misconception around shibari is that it's an ancient Japanese art. Uh. It really is not. It's a very modern practice. The earliest uh, depictions of shibari as we know it today are from the late 1800s, early 1900s, so this is pretty modern. And whatever origins it has in ancient Japanese warfare is as relevant to the practice as inquisition time
0: methods of incarcerations are relevant to any other form of BDSM, right? So as soon as she said Japanese warfare, I was like, oh my God, I need to read more about this. <laughs> so this is from The Guardian in an article entitled Shibari Pushing Boundaries in the Ancient Japanese Practice of Not Tying. Shibari originated from Jitsu a method of restraining captives and a form of torture, before morphing again into the erotic bondage kimbaku in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Kimbaku B literally translates as the beauty of type binding. Central to the art is creating patterns that contrast and complement the natural curves of the usually female body. The beauty lies in juxtaposition bare skin against tough rope, strength against exposure, and a sense of calm against the knife edge of risk. And then this is from the Wikipedia entry for Japanese bondage. The word shibari came into common use in the West at some point in the 1990s to describe the bondage art kimbaku. Shibari is a Japanese word that broadly means binding or tying in most contexts but is used in BDSM to refer to this style of decorative bondage. And so then how is it practiced currently? Because you you started shibari study, right? And I actually didn't realize that there were so many different forms and that you could do it to yourself, like there's solo tying.
1: Again, if we go back to this very uh, broad definition, rope on the body, <laughs> then obviously there are virtually an infinite amount of ways you can use that tool uh, and enjoy it and appropriate it, right? Like to your own desires and your own needs and your own body and the context and so on and so forth. So there are so many different styles because there are different influences from different masters and different, you know, rope professionals through the past uh, decades. So this has influenced different styles for sure, aesthetically, even philosophically. But the more mainstream and the more people are practicing shibari and it has become increasingly popular over the last 10 or 20 years, but especially the last 5, 10 years with social media and, and all of that, people have really started to mix it up also with other things, right? So a lot of people are kind of combining shibari with mindfulness practices or body work or acrobatics, circus, dance theater, photography, you know, all sorts of media, art, performances. And something that has become increasingly popular is also self-tying. And self-tying can be something that people do because they simply don't have a partner available to tie them or, or to tie, but they still want to practice. So they start tying themselves up. Very often it's also people who have a, an acrobatic practice or stage performance practice, a lot of circus performers, pole dancers, uh, a performers. There's an obvious connection, especially with the suspension aspect of the practice. And then there's also a lot of people who practice self-tying really as a form of self-care or self-sensory experience, like a self-massage or even uh, in some cases in a very erotic way, kind of like rope masturbation. <laughs>
0: I love that.
1: (laughs) There is no limit to what we can do with this practice. So obviously, self-tying is something that has happened and and happens a lot.
0: So shibari is obviously a super cool way to practice BDSM. That's probably the initial draw for most people. But there are some less expected benefits of shibari. First of all, I'm really glad that uh, you're not trying to (laughs) gloss over the uh,
1: BDSM or, or sexual aspects of the practice. But you're right that this is a more obvious angle, that this is kind of what people think of immediately when they th- think about rope bondage. But other benefits and other ways to use and approach this, the most common benefit that people report from practicing is often something very similar to meditation or mindfulness practices. There is really this sense of Really connecting very deeply with yourself and with someone else, um, emotionally, physically, even spiritually sometimes. It's a practice that enhances everything, right? It enhances the sensations, the vulnerability, the desire for trust and understanding. Uh, You feel really seen when you're being tied and you feel very attentive and empathetic when you're tying. Well, at least in my experience. So, usually, this, yeah, th- these kind of mindfulness benefits uh, are very common. Also, very calming. It helps people to focus. So, I, for example, somebody with very, very severe ADHD, uh, I have a lot of anxieties. Uh,
0: this is super relatable for a lot of us, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of people with, with these types of neurodivergence find a lot of relief and catharsis in this practice because it gives you this almost kind of sacred space in which you focus all your energy, all your attention, and you stop worrying about other things and you become very, yeah, very focused. It's like tuning in Mm -hmm. with yourself and with somebody else that you care for. So this can be extremely relieving and very healing, honestly, while it happens, but also afterwards. A lot of people that have, yeah, like anxiety or depression also have shared that it really helped them. I think this is due to the fact that it's a collaborative practice. And it's a collaborative practice, not only on an intellectual level and emotional level, but also on a physical level. So there's touch, there's sensations, and this is something that for people that tend to feel very disconnected or even dissociated or a bit all over the place, it really helps kind of coming back into the body.
0: It's like soothing just hearing you talk about it, honestly. <laughs> so, you do both, right? You're like a rigor and a bottom. Am I getting the terminology right? It's like any other thing with BDSM. Some people are switch. Can you kind of explain the different positions?
1: Yeah, so for those uh, listening who have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> um, so basically with shibari or rope bondage in general, unless we're doing self-tying, there's often two people involved. There can be more, but uh, the classic scenario is going to be two people, one person tying and one person being tied. The vocabulary around this is a little bit actually, it's not very really fixed uh, because mm-hmm. Different people with different approaches uh, and also different language, different cultures will prefer certain words over another one. But the common words for the person tying could be rigor. This is a very neutral term. I think it's very technical, like the person tying, so the rigor. Uh There's more power exchange involved. It could be top or rope top. And on the other side it's the same. So if you want to keep it pretty neutral, people tend to use the term uh, rope model. This can be a little bit sensitive because people might sometimes feel like it's too close to the word for fashion model. And then it kind of implies a certain body type, Uh. uh, which feel very exclusionary, but I find it to be the most neutral term, right? Like rope model. And if there's a bit more power exchange involved, uh, then you could call it a rope bottom or rope submissive. Some people use the term bunny, which I'm personally not a big fan of. I find <laughs> it a little <laughs> bit, I don't know, <laughs> a bit degrading. Then <laughs> again, like everybody's like free to use whatever words they like, right? I think the rope bunny thing comes from this tie, which is very popular. Oh, yeah. But I think I'm not, I don't want to put my, <laughs> my word on <laughs> it, but I think this is where it comes from, yeah
0: just while we're on rigor and model or top and bottom, I saw a post on, I think it was your Instagram where you were talking about the difference in those positions. The power dynamic isn't necessarily what you would think it is. And like the difference between power and control in those scenarios. Can you explain that a little bit? <laughs> okay. I like where this is going. Um, It's a practice
1: that is actually very nuanced and it can be something really simple, just like we want to have some hot sex in the bedroom and throw some bondage in there. And this is completely valid. And it's, it's a perfect way to use this tool. In my case, I find it to be actually a very deep and complex playground. It can be something deeply philosophical, deeply intellectual, deeply political. And it's something that I've been practicing for 10 years since I was a very young woman. So my exploration of the practice has kind of bounced back and forth with my personal life also as a woman and as a young woman in a very male-dominated world. I mean, the the rope world also, not just the world world. <laughs> so it has led me to a lot of thought processes and questioning that go way beyond. It's hard to tie me up, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and one of these developments, I guess, is what you just talked about is realizing that, first of all, it doesn't always have to involve power exchange. It also doesn't always have to involve trust. I think this is something that I often hear people say, oh, Shibari is about trust. I mean, yeah, sure. If it does involve trust, that's amazing. And it should probably when possible but it doesn't have to and it often doesn't like sex doesn't always involve trust or vulnerability or power exchange right you can have a really satisfying amazing one night stand with a stranger there's no trust there (laughs) yeah you don't know that person so I think all these like big feelings also these big words that we kind of like throw around so much that they lose their meaning. One of them that comes a lot in the context of bondage is power and power exchange. And it kind of stops meaning anything because we just kind of placate a very superficial understanding on this that the person tying has all the power and the person being tied has no power. And we just kind of slap that thing on the practice and go with it. And I think anybody who's been practicing for enough time and with enough introspection and intentionality quickly realizes that this is not really true. It's not exactly true. And very often people who do get into this practice because they want the experience of power exchange, because they're dominant or because they're submissive, and they do want to feel like I'm letting go of all the power, I'm feeling powerless, and it's part of their fantasy, right? They actually get very disappointed, I think, because you feel like, "Mm, okay, this is not real. Uh, And then it can get a little bit tricky. Or the other way around, people who felt worried about this notion of power exchange find something completely different. So this is the (laughs) intro (laughs) to what I'm about to say. (laughs) I'm trying to give a little bit of context because there's just so much lived experience that goes into this thought process. But basically something that resonates more to me, and it doesn't have to be true for everyone, is that I think the person tying has a lot of control, but very little power. And the person being tied has a lot of power and very little control. And this is a super interesting paradox, actually, of the experience because What power really is, is the ability to start or end something, right? If you have the on-off button, you have the ultimate power. And assuming that we're talking about consensual experiences of being restricted, the person being tied can always say, stop, we're done, you're in Mm -hmm. me." Hopefully, we're also talking about uh, scenarios where people had negotiations before they tie. There is a framework. This is not real. It's not real that you can do whatever you want to me. It's not real that you're kidnapping me and torturing me, right? So the person being tied has all the power, literally. They will end when they want to end it. The other thing that gives people being tied a lot of power is that they have the knowledge that is the most important and knowledge is truly is power. So maybe the person tying knows about the knots and the technique and the stuff and what is going on there, right? But they don't know how you feel. They're only guessing, it's a guessing game. This is actually very scary. And this is a very powerless position to be in for the person tying is, are they enjoying? Are they feeling good? Are they bored? Is this the most amazing experience of their life? (laughs) (laughs) Are they feeling what I want them to feel? So person being tied knows everything that happens in their body, know how far they're from their limits. If they're having a great time or they're bored to death and they know how close they are from telling you stop or done, or actually I'm feeling great, you can keep going. So lots of power, very little control because well, they're tied up. The person tying doesn't know what's going on <laughs> in your body, It's just hoping you're not gonna say stop, hopefully. And so not very much power, but a lot of control because they're tying you up, right? So, and they're deciding what happens next to your body. So this is a super weird paradox, both physically and, and emotionally, it's very strange. And it's very interesting because I think what comes out of this, hopefully, that I find very an opportunity for incredible growth for yourself and within a partnership, whether it's a romantic partnership or not, is to start understanding that coming closer to this power exchange fantasy doesn't happen when the riggers or tops pretend that they have more power than they do. And just kind of like, I'm just going to act very confident and be rough and not ask for consent to make it look like power exchange is happening and bottoms kind of zone out and disconnect and go into this place of I'm out and you can do whatever you want to me, which can be really dangerous. But instead when bottoms or models just develop more self-awareness, really understand and fully inhabit this power and share it consciously, intentionally and wisely with their tops with their partners there cannot be power exchange if there's no power to exchange right so this is actually a very beautiful thing to understand and an incredibly empowering experience for the person being tied when this is happening consciously and for the person tying i find it a mind-blowing experience to learn how to use your power with humility this is one of the most incredible experience, I think. It's such a a useful human skill. So using this control, applying this control to someone else's body and emotional landscape in a humble way and being fully aware and acknowledging the precarity of power of a dominant position actually. And I think once all of this is either intuitive or intellectually phrased and acknowledged, it can be an incredibly empowering experience and an intellectually also very rich experience.
0: We need to send you to the like G20 summit, (laughs) just tying up world leaders, (laughs) having them tie each other up. Hey privates, (inaudible) privates with penises, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Our sponsor Fleshlike can help you reach new heights with your self pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world, and they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to this show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control, and as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just wanna say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, Wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are gonna be getting yours and having a good time, so you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to PPUPOD.com, that's the website, PPUPOD.com. You click Fleshlight, and you use the promo code PRIVATE10. To get 10% off your delicious new device, again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So you're probably wondering, how did Marika get started in Shibari? And what has her personal journey with the practice been?
1: I started when I was 19, very randomly. It was, uh, I guess, a beautiful accident. But I was basically just approached by someone to be tied up for pictures. So I googled Shibari and found a whole lot of things that I was not really sure what I... Like, I had a lot of feelings about it, but I wasn't really sure what these feelings were. Mm -hmm. I was 19, very vanilla never been exposed to any sort of BDSM practice and I felt a little bit like "Hmm, this is maybe a bit too intense for me but it's so beautiful I'm really curious so that's how I got into it I was kind of like weirded out and fascinated by it and then I had my first suspension for this photo shooting and it completely blew my mind like the physical experience I had was really really intense I remember not speaking for four days And just sitting in my house, like something really powerful just happened to me. And none of it was emotional. Like the the experience itself wasn't emotional, but what it did to my body was so intense for me. It really did what we talked about a bit before, like this kind of meditation thing, like, but outside of my own will, like I just was forced and pushed back into my body all of a sudden after 19 years of being an extremely dissociated person. So it had already some sort of mental benefit for me that it just kind of slapped me back into my body. And then I became obsessed and started chasing people and events and knowledge and, oh my God, what is this? And yeah, I started being tied up a lot. And then I started tying myself and then I started tying other people. And I was lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time a lot and meeting a lot of amazing people. And then I started uh, performing with really big names and then becoming more and more exposed. And then I started teaching myself. And 10 years later, I'm still doing this as a full-time job.
0: Here (laughs) we are. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we were just talking about the power and control differences between rigor and model. And in your experience, has I don't know, there been any shift in your desire to, for instance, be the rigger as you get older and become more of a woman? Or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, has there been an evolution in how you see the roles as you get older?
1: Mm. (laughs) I love all your questions. (sighs) Yes, of course. I mean, shibari for me, it's not a hobby. It's been my passion and my work full-time for years, for a decade now. So it's really, really like 90% of my life is about shibari, about practicing it, teaching it, you know, thinking about it, talking Mm -hmm. about it. So of course the line between like my life and my shibari life is, is more than blurry. There's not really a line anymore. So everything that I am as a person goes into my practice and everything from my practice goes into who I am, but definitely I'm I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I started as a very young, very, very young, very submissive, very lost, very insecure woman who had been socialized for 19 years as a straight female bodied person. So you know, a lot of my insecurities and a lot of my emotional priorities, let's say, were getting the attention and the validation of cis straight men, Mm -hmm. which of course, when you sexualize yourself and when you, you know, get naked and tied up, that happens. So I think the first half of my journey with Shibari was It was very beneficial in a way because it gave me a lot of confidence, a lot of self-confidence to be recognized, to be wanted, to be seen. But it was definitely not healing. It was just filling this thing, right? And then I kind of crashed. Of course, I hit a lot of walls. I've been through a lot of consent violations. I've had a lot of terrible experiences because I wasn't clear, because I was in these very toxic, I think, dynamics and psychological patterns. And as I kind of hit these walls and then gotten the support that I needed uh, from the community, from mental health professionals, from friends and family, and I started building myself and transforming myself, I started to seek completely different experiences with Shibari. So I started getting tied less and tying more because I felt safer like that. Also, because I felt it more empowering for me to explore more dominant side, to explore more of my own masculinity, maybe. I have a pretty good balance. I think I went like to very different extremes, and now I feel equally fulfilled and safe in both roles. I really enjoy being tied. I just pick the people who tie me very carefully. I've become very intentional about who I tie and who I get tied by. Because it, these are interactions that will leave their marks on your body and on your mind. So I think they have to be we have to be very intentional. Even when we want to just do pick up play with strangers, we have to be intentional.
0: Marika is not only super into Shibari, but she's also polyamorous and bisexual. So we discussed any impact the practice had on her sexuality and her sexual identity as she was coming of age. And really how it's changed her life in general.
1: I mean I've been polyamorous or non-monogamous and bisexual pansexual since my 20s. I think mostly because I came to in contact with the, with this community and realized, "Oh, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not a straight <laughs> cis woman." <laughs> so, I wouldn't say that Shibari like that bondage got me into relationship with women. I think everything just kind of happened at the same time. But I started everything so young that it's really hard to tell what led to what, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it was just this age where everything happened to me and I was discovering my identity and my sexual identity and all of this. I mean, over the course of 10 years, not like immediately when I started, boom, it happened to me, but over the course of 10 years, practicing uh, bondage. A lot and and again, very intentionally and very intensely. It has completely transformed me. It has completely changed my life, the practice itself, but also the community around it, which is a community that is at least my community within the community is very sex positive, very body positive, very political, a lot of social activism, racial activism. It's a very political sphere. And we're dealing with the body, which is, I mean, it is a political playground as well, right? Or object
0: vessel. Yeah.
1: So it has completely transformed every aspect of me, my gender identity, my sexual identity, my social identity, my body, my relationship to my body. It it, it has changed everything for me.
0: You know, you mentioned your first time your body was just like, you were basically like high on it for four days. How do you approach body care, aftercare? And yeah, making sure you like, I don't know, my terms are probably way off, come down from the experience.
1: (laughs) This is very much up to every different person. I think it's definitely something that should be thought of and communicated before you get tied up by somebody or before you tie yourself up, discussing what type of aftercare you're going to need. So some people really like to be cuddled with and have like a warm blanket and something to snack or something to drink, and they're going to want to talk about it. Uh, Maybe some other people just want to be, you know, to lay down and just have you pet their head and that's it. Not talk to them. Uh, Some people are going to want to be alone. Some people don't need any aftercare. They don't care. They just, you know, stand back up and go get tied up by the next person. (laughs) So (laughs) it's I think, on on every person, also the dynamic and the context, the environment. Um, so I, I don't really have an answer for that. It's very personal.
0: Gotcha. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but in terms of like how you approach consent in Shibari, and it seems like it's very important, maybe even more important than you know in just regular vanilla sex but how do you make sure everyone is on the same page and is it like a safe word kind of situation
1: this is a very very delicate topic um which i'm i'm really glad you're bringing up but i just want anybody who's listening to understand that whatever i'm going to say now in a few minutes does not cover it cannot cover it consent is at the core of everything we do with any sort of bdsm practice including raw bondage because that's what makes the difference between abuse and bdsm if there is no explicit free consent it is not bdsm it is abuse so it's a very delicate topic because it's much more complicated than just yes no it can be very hard for someone to say no you might say yes under pressure or with a lot of coercion involved so it's quite delicate I think (sighs) how to make sure there can be safe words for some people that works really well like the um, kind of traffic light system you know red orange green red Mm -hmm. meaning stop right now everything has to stop orange is kind of like slow down and green like we're good keep going this can also not really work for some people because either because they zone out when they get tied up or because they might feel like once they're in, in the situation, they, they're not really able to communicate so well. There are just a lot of factors that can come in, into play. It, it's actually impossible for me to, to answer this question just like that, there's just so much going on. Uh, I think it's really important to just research this if you want to get into any sort of BDSM. really, really actively research consent. Also try to understand what your partner's consent culture is and what their view on consent is. Also try to to educate yourself and again, check your partner's education on also risk awareness. For example, like their risk profile, what are the risks they're willing to engage with? Are they more of an SSC person, safe, set and consensual or more of a RAC person, risk aware, consensual, kink? These are very different Views on our website, for example, we have a written section on consent and negotiation. I kind of like to have this written down because then people can reread it. They can Mm -hmm. go get back to it. They can use it when they're talking with their partner, like check it together. So that is on a Shibari study, (laughs) which we haven't talked about yet. But I think it's really important to, yeah, just educate yourself about these topics also from different educators and different resources to compare different opinions different views and try to build your own like yeah your own opinion on this and find what really truly resonate with you and make sure that you're playing with people that align that you have the same views and the same culture around it to avoid also unintentional consent violation right because these are the most frequent violations they're really unintentional because we use the same word to say something different right Mm -hmm. for example if you say oh I don't do shibari in a sexual way, or I want to have a a shibari experience with you, but not sexual. Then they're like, oh, me neither. This is fine. And then we feel like, oh, this was a negotiation. Everything that comes next is going to be consensual, but then we both mean something completely different with sexual,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So yeah, this is something very important to really take time with.
0: So yeah, let's get into Shibari study. Hey,
1: (laughs) this is the more fun part of my journey. (laughs) So Shibari study is something that I started together with my ex-partner about three years ago. So yeah, 2019. That's about three years ago. There there was a better version earlier, 2017, that I started by myself, that this was very experimental just like a couple of videos, because I wanted to see, you know, what happens if I put tutorials out there. At the time, there was no such thing as online rope education. It was really not a thing and kind of frowned upon even. This is not the way you have to uh, learn. But also a lot of my students from my physical workshops always were telling me, we learn so many patterns, and then sometimes we go home and we forget about it. So that's kind of how it Started. And then when I met my ex-partner, Anton, who's the co-founder of uh, Shibar's Study, I was telling him, yeah, I have this kind of project, but I don't really know what to do with it. I'm a chaotic artist. I don't know <laughs> how to structure this. And he said, okay, I really like, you know, to bring structure into things. Um, let's look at this together. And then we started building this into a proper website with high quality videos. Like everything just became a bit more proper over the years. And now what we launched, which is our latest version of the project, is a subscription-based streaming platform with, I think now we have almost 500 videos on it from about 10, I think, instructors currently, but it's growing. And you can learn rope bondage from absolutely zero skills. I've never touched a rope. I have no idea what this is about, but I'm curious. All the way to very advanced techniques, including suspension, for example. So this is a website really for everyone curious or already into Shibari to develop their practice and develop their skills and also find out about very different styles because we select our instructors in a very non-dogmatic way. I really like to show different uh, approaches, different energies, different techniques, different styles. I mean, on the website, so if you're starting from nothing, if you have no experience with it and you're trying to start tying, I would recommend starting with the safety course. We have a generic safety course with 10 videos that will kind of walk you through all the important things to know or to think about before you get started. And then we have a whole section called beginner classes uh, where I'll be teaching. (laughs) I'm teaching (laughs) classes, so you'll get more of me. And then I will really bring you from like, Touching your first rope all the way to tying some really cute, beautiful, intricate patterns, either on yourself or on a partner. So most of the course is designed that you can practice it on yourself if you don't have a model or a partner. So you can get confident and just kind of go over these first steps. You know, it's it's a very technical practice. At the beginning, is a little bit frustrating sometimes. Get confident and then you can have fun with somebody else (laughs) when you feel better about it. I mean, we have hundreds of videos, so you you can spend some time
0: exploring there. Awesome. Are you based in Berlin? Yes. Is there like a big rope community there? Yes, there
1: actually is. Um, We have one of the biggest, I'm not sure if it's the biggest, but one of the biggest rope conventions uh, in Europe was happening in Berlin called Eurex, European Rigor Exchange. And that's an awesome, super awesome week-long convention, for example. There's Prague Festival, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, BoundCon, there are a bunch of events happening yeah, in Europe. And and I mean, in, in America, you also have a lot of really cool stuff going on.
0: Uh, this interview is so good. It inspired me to put a piece of rope on my vision board for 2024. I am so excited to explore Shibari further. and. I really hope it's with Marika. I would love to connect with her in person on a future trip. I think actually, right now, she's running an animal sanctuary in France in addition to her Shabari work. And of course, Shabari Study is still doing great. So you can follow them on Instagram at Shabari.study. And the website is ShabariStudy.com. And a big thanks to Marika for showing us the ropes today. Ching, <laughs> And thank you for tuning into this episode of Private Parts Unknown. Stay tuned right here because I have got another sexy episode coming your way next week. For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player now. To stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak. That is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And hey, privates, I am shamelessly trying to hit the top 1% on OnlyFans always and forever. So if you are interested in a Playboy-style peek behind the podcast... You can subscribe to my OnlyFans account. It is OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. It is a very horny way to help support the show. So if you are interested, join me on OnlyFans. It is OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter. It's privatepartsunknown.substack.com and there is a link in the episode description. And subscribe to the Private Parts Unknown YouTube channel. There is a video up of Marika and there are a bunch of other episodes up on the channel and I'm going to drop another Marika episode so that is youtube.com slash private parts unknown that is youtube.com slash private parts unknown and check out my other podcast for more of my audio creations I have the bleeders about book writing and publishing and podcast bestie which is a best friend to podcasters trying to grow and monetize their shows and shout out to Amy Roush for the bomb ass theme music For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by my beloved audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com/slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. We currently have some rating and review goals. We are trying to get to 280 on Apple Podcasts, and we would love a new fresh review to read on the air. And we are currently at 278 so if two of you could give us a rating and review on apple Podcasts, that would be amazing and we are trying to get to 140 on spotify and we are currently at 136 so we would so appreciate it if you could help us out if you're listening on spotify you just go to the upper left hand corner of our page click the star button and then click all five stars And you can rate and review the podcast no matter where you are listening just by going to ratethispodcast.com slash private and leaving a five-star rating and review. And there is one more way you can help support the show. We are now on the Fountain app. So if you are listening on a V4V platform and you get value from this show, you can support us by sending a boostagram or sending some sats for streaming. You can even send a comment along with your boost. And I have to say, those are my favorite messages to get because they come with a little bit of money. Thank you so much for sticking with me until the end. Until next time. Stay curious and keep exploring. Love you privates.